Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, and we're going to focus on verses 4 and 5 tonight. Habakkuk 2, 4, and 5. I'll begin by reading, uh, starting at reading at verse 1, and we'll read verses 1 to 5. So Habakkuk chapter 2. The prophet says, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision and inscribe it on tablets, that the one who reads it may run. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sha'ol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. <clears throat> so here we have, um, continuing the answer of God to the prophet Habakkuk. Uh, we remind ourselves that in chapter 1, Habakkuk starts with his plea and his, his cry to God, asking for him to answer him. And then God answers with um, a vision that uh, the Chaldeans, the Babylonian people, will come and destroyed uh, the nation, destroyed Jerusalem, and caused them to go into exile. And then Habakkuk responds, asking in faith um, how God could do these things, and God answers again here in, in chapter 2. And we know from last time that in verse uh, 2 and 3, that the vision primarily that the Lord is speaking of is the vision of Christ. Christ is the one who is coming in his appointed time, he is the one who is hastening toward the goal, who will not fail. And though he was waiting, we should wait for him, and he will certainly come. And that is what, exactly what he did. He came in the fullness of time, at the consummation of the ages. And so even now, we look for him to come again in the second coming. And then in verse 4 and 5, uh, we are given um, a very weighty and wonderful text, one that should cause all of us to tremble and cause all of us to, to listen and be, be careful to hear what he's saying. Because in, in verse 4, this is quoted um, no less than three times in the New Testament, uh, once in Romans, once in Galatians, and then once in Hebrews. And we'll see later that Paul is using this text as the proof, the final proof, and uh, without any doubt of of his gospel, of his gospel by faith, the gospel that God gave to him, that Christ gave to him. And so this is a very important text, one that is not well known, um, at least in the book of Habakkuk, because most people don't know the book of Habakkuk. But it's so important that Paul used it as, as his proof of the gospel. And that is why it's very important. So we'll see that in verse 4, Behold us for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. So if we turn to Hebrews 10.38, uh, we'll get an interpretation of this passage that will help us understand it. Hebrews 10.38. <clears throat> we'll begin in verse 32. Hebrews 10.32. But remember the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings partly by being made a, a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. 
For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that, you will, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. So first, an accounting needs to be made for the differences between what we see in Habakkuk in our Bibles and what the prophet or the apostle has in Hebrews, because uh, the words are different and the order is different. Now, the order um, does not change the meaning. He simply uh, switches uh, the phrase, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And the, where it says, um, behold us for the proud one. In Hebrews, it says, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And the, that doesn't change the meaning at all, so that should not bother us, because he, he means only to point that out in verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And so he's giving us a contrast between those who have true faith and those who do not have true faith, which is exactly what Habakkuk does. Uh, the one who does not have true faith, um, God is not pleased with, but the one who has true faith is the one who is righteous. And he, he shows this contrast. In fact, those are the, the ones who have true faith do not shrink back, but their very faith is the instrument that God uses uh, by which they overcome the world and preserve their soul, as it says in Hebrews 10.39. But we also have some different uh, words. Uh, the wording is slightly different between Habakkuk and Hebrews. Um, so if we consult the Septuagint, uh, this is, which is the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament uh, that was done between, uh, in between Malachi and Matthew in the intertestamental period, um, we'll see that this is what the apostle is quoting in, in Hebrews. So the Greek translation reads, If he should draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him, but the just shall live by my faith. Which is exactly what the apostle has, except for a couple minor differences. Um, so as far as why he's doing, uh, reading it a little bit differently, we can actually see that this uh, translation is there in, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament. So, in Habakkuk 2.4, it says, Behold, as for the proud one. Now, that word proud is only used once in the Old Testament. Um, but we can see that those who are proud are also those who shrink back, as it says in Hebrews 10.38. Uh, the, the proud ones, they're the ones who are shrinking back. Though they puff themselves up in pride, and certainly they puff themselves, themselves up in their own mind, what happens when they approach God or they approach the Word of God? but they shrink back. And that's exactly what we see throughout Scripture. They're the ones um, who, who uh, flee from, from God and His commandments. But the humble, the ones who are, are not proud but are humble, they are confidently approaching God in Christ. So there is a contrast there. And we'll see this just looking a little bit earlier in Hebrews 10, uh, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to, to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So you see there in verse 19 that the humble one has confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, the holy place being heaven itself, where Christ is seated now at the right hand of the Father. We have confidence not to enter a tabernacle and a temple here on earth made with human hands, but confidence to enter heaven, the, the temple of God where, where Christ dwells. But it's not confidence in our own works. It's confidence in the blood of Jesus. But the proud one, the proud one does not have that confidence. Instead, he shrinks back. He shrinks back when the judgment comes. He will shrink back when the ultimate judgment comes. But he even shrinks back in this life. When the judgment of God's word comes, they fall away. And this is what they must do. As it says in Proverbs 28.1, that the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. So to see some examples of that in Scripture, um, keep your finger in Hebrews 10. Uh, go to Genesis 3. We see that this is exactly what happened at the first sin, that there was pride in Adam and Eve, and the result of their pride was to shrink back and to fall away. Genesis 3, after they, they eat the fruit... It says in verse 6, Genesis 3, 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking, sorry, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. <clears throat> so we see that the, the fruit was desirable to make one wise. This is the, the boastful pride of life that John talks about in 1 John 2. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Both Adam and Eve were boasting and proud. Proud that they could have wisdom in their own, in their own path, their own wisdom, instead of the wisdom of God following his word. And the wisdom of Satan, no less, demonic wisdom earthly wisdom instead of heavenly wisdom. This is nothing but pride. And the result of that pride is that when they heard the sound of the Lord God, the God who made them, the God who made a covenant with them, they heard him walking in the garden and they hid themselves. The man and his wife hid themselves, as it says in verse 8. They could not bear the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They could not bear his presence because of their pride. They must shrink back when he comes near. We see that as well in Genesis 4 with Cain. In Genesis 4.13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Cain thought his punishment was too great uh, because of his pride. He was so proud um, that he even murdered his own brother. And so what did he do when, when God came and God brought judgment to him? He, he shrunk back. He, he fled from the presence of the Lord. Let's also turn to the New Testament, John chapter 3. We see that this is the same thing in Jesus' day and in our day as well, but the Jews themselves shrunk back. They, they fled from Christ. First uh, John 3, 19 through 21. After this is in his um, discourse with Nicodemus, <clears throat> John 3:19, Jesus says, "This is the judgment that the light." has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, 
so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So there again, the humble, they come to the light. The one who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. God is the one doing the work in them. And so they come toward the light who is Christ. But in verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. The proud ones who work their evil deeds, um, they will be exposed. And so they must flee from the light. They must shrink back. And then some, some examples with Christ, John six fifty two through 66. John six fifty two. <clears throat> this is um, when when Jesus was giving these words to the people um, and saying things like, um, "No one can come to him unless the Father draws him," and that he, they must eat his flesh, meaning they must believe in him and his death and resurrection. He says in verse fifty two, "Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat?'" So Jesus said to them. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eat this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So we see that the disciples, when they hear the harsh words of Jesus, the, the difficult things that Jesus says, um, telling them to believe in him and him alone. First, they grumble and say, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And then when he tells them that this is the why he said, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the father, they withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. This is the shrinking back that Hebrews 10 is speaking about. Because he says in Hebrews 10, 38, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. These disciples who left Christ, they fled from him. They shrunk back from his words. And it was to their own destruction because he says that in verse 63 of John 6, that it is the spirit who gives life and his words um, are spirit and are life. So when they shrink back from Christ, they're shrinking back from their own life and they go to destruction. <clears throat> and this is what Habakkuk is talking about when he talks about the proud one is those who shrink back. Uh, next, when um, in Hebrews it says, my soul has no pleasure in him. Um, in Habakkuk 2, it says, um, his soul is not right within him. Um, this could easily be translated as my soul is not pleased with him. So the, the word for soul 
is a very common word used in the Old Testament. Um, it has a wide semantic, semantic domain, including soul, uh, life, person, etc., being, things like that. This can be spoken of, of God as well. So in, in Habakkuk, it seems like it's talking about the soul of the, the wicked, proud man. But in Hebrews, it sounds like he's talking about the soul of God. But this can be used of God, and we'll see that in Psalm 11, verse 5, that it uses that same Hebrew word for the soul of God. Not that God is made up of body and soul, but it is teaching us about uh, the being of God and who his character. Psalm 11, uh, verse 5. Psalm 11.5 says, The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. So there, the one who loves violence, the wicked ones, the soul of God hates them. Right. So the soul of God is his very being, his infinite, eternal fullness of being. He hates the wicked ones. And this is exactly what we have in Habakkuk and in Hebrews, that the soul of God has no pleasure um, in the proud one who shrinks back to destruction. And then the word that is used for right, the Hebrew word that's used for right in Habakkuk 2.4, where it says his soul is not right within him, that Hebrew word is also often used um, as pleasure or being pleased, uh, what is pleasing in the sight of man and in the sight of God. Um, and so that is, what we, that is what we have here, that God, his soul, his being, has no pleasure. He's not pleased. He does not uh, esteem right the one who does not have faith, the one who is proud, and the one who shrinks back to destruction. And we know that that's true of all the wicked. We see that in Psalm 1, that the wicked will not stand in the judgment, and they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. And then lastly, in um, the Septuagint translation, the, the, the Greek translation, it says, the just shall live by my faith. Uh, but in Hebrews it says, the just shall live by faith. Um, so that shouldn't be cause us any concern as well, because when it says my faith, it's not as if the the apostle is misquoting, but just pointing out that the faith that um, that we have, it comes from God. When God says my faith in, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the faith that comes from God. Um, God does not have faith. He has no, there's no one greater, nothing greater than him for him to have faith in. He is the um, the Alpha and the Omega. But he is faithful and trustworthy, and there is no one greater than him. And so all that being said is that the faith and belief that he gives to us, the faith and belief that we have in the righteous one, is from God and it is to God. It is God's faith because saving faith uh, belongs to him. It comes from him. It's a gift from him. And the faith, the object of faith, is God himself in Christ. Um, and it's pertaining to divine things. And so it is God's faith meaning that it is a gift from God to us. And principally, we see that in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. When we are saved through faith, the instrument of faith, it is by God's grace. And that, not of yourself, that faith, that grace, that salvation, and that faith, that faith is a gift of God. It comes from God. 
And it says the same thing in Isaiah 53, 11, when it says, by his knowledge, the righteous one shall justify the many. His knowledge is the faith in him, faith in Christ. And that's what we see here in Hebrews uh, 10 and in 11 as well. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. In Hebrews 10, 38, quoting Habakkuk 2, 4, it says, If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then in Hebrews eleven six, Without faith it is impossible to please him. So these ones who shrink back, they have no faith, and that is why God is not pleased with them. But the one who has faith, he can trust and know that God is pleased with him because he's believing that God is and that God is a rewarder uh, of him who is seeking him. So here, the apostle in Hebrews is giving us a proper understanding of what Habakkuk is saying in Habakkuk 2.4. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. Habakkuk, the prophet, before the destruction of Jerusalem in um, by the Chaldeans, he is talking about and prophesying of Christ, of those who would reject Christ both in his day and in the day of Christ. And he is talking about having faith, faith in Christ and living by that faith. And this is exactly what the apostle in Hebrews is doing. Uh, next in Habakkuk 2 verse 5, it says, Furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man so that he does not stay at home. He enlarges his appetite like Sha'ol, and he is like death, never satisfied. He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Those proud leaders and nobles in Habakkuk's day um, in the nation of Israel, um, as well as the religious leaders in Jesus' day, and even in our own day for the most part, are proud, haughty men who shrink back from God and his commandments. And then he says, furthermore, so even more so are the ones who get drunk with wine. It says, furthermore, wine betrays the haughty man. So they, these men are the ones who are drinking wine, both literally and figuratively. Um, it says the wine is betraying them. So we see in Proverbs 20, verse 1, talking about what, what happens when someone gets drunk on wine, when they're disobeying the commandments of God and they're living a proud life. And we see this a lot of times with kings and rulers, that they live proud lives, and then what do they end up doing? They end up getting entangled in many vices and sins, like drunkenness. Proverbs 20, verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. Wine is promising them pleasure and satisfaction, but it's betraying them because it's making them a brawler and a mocker. And they're intoxicated by it and showing that they have no wisdom. They, ha they do not have the wisdom of God. They do not have uh, the faith that is giving them uh, righteousness from God. Back to Habakkuk uh, 2, it says that, um, that in this wine that they, it's betraying them, they, they think that it's giving them one thing, but in one form or another, they will be humbled, that though they are getting pleased uh, by this wine, that they will be humbled by God, either now or at the end. As Jesus says, that he who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And it says, so that he does not stay at home. Drunkards do not stay at home, but they wander vagrantly. 
And so a proud man, just like it, as in verse 4, a proud man wanders outside of his domain thinking that he's safe. He thinks that he's safe, but he's not taking heed lest that he will fall. But the proud man who is drunk on wine will fall. And we see examples of that uh, throughout Scripture, that they, uh, those who are proud, even believers who are proud, uh, they will stumble um, because they are not uh, staying at home. We see that's what happened with David when he was drunk with adultery. Um, he did not uh, go out to war like he was supposed to. And then he says, he enlarges his appetite like Sha'ol, and he is like death, never satisfied. Proverbs 27, verse 20. Proverbs 27, verse 20. Sha'ol and Abaddon are never satisfied, nor the eyes of man ever satisfied. And in Proverbs 30, verse 16. He says a similar thing. <clears throat> Sheol in the barren womb, or let me, let's start in verse 15 in Proverbs 30. The leech has two daughters. Give, give. There are three things that will not be satisfied, four that will not say enough. Sheol in the barren womb, earth that is never satisfied with water, and fire that never says enough. The eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens of the valley will pluck it out, and the young eagles will eat it. So in these Proverbs we see... Um, the metaphor that Sha'ol, the place of the dead, uh, where the dead go after they die, their souls, that Sha'ol and death are never satisfied. There's never um, a filling up of Sha'ol so that no more uh, men will go there. They're never uh, satisfied with however many souls that they devour. Death waits for no man, and the countless billions of men who have lived before, they are all dead. Um, and just like this relentless place of the dead souls, so is the haughty man with his desires for conquest and self-gratification. Nothing on this earth will satisfy this proud man um, who is, opens up his appetite like Sha'ol. And just like death is not satisfied uh, with any new souls that it has conquered, so the proud man is not satisfied with anything on this earth that he has conquered, because he does not have faith. He does not have faith in God, and so he will never be satisfied in this life. Uh, Philippians three seventeen through twenty one describes uh, such a man as this, uh, the one who opens up his appetite like Shaol. Philippians three uh, seventeen, Paul says this: Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. He says in Philippians 3.19, The ones whose end is destruction, their God is their appetite. Their God is their belly. Instead of trusting in and believing in Christ and in following the commandments of God, their own God is their belly, their desires. And they widen their desires even more because nothing in this earth will satisfy them. And so they glory in their own shame and their minds are forever set on earthly things. This is the haughty man of Habakkuk 2, 5. 
the one who enlarges his appetite like Shaul, um, and he will never be satisfied. And in Habakkuk 2.5, it says, He also gathers to himself all nations and collects to himself all peoples. Perhaps the chief example of this would be Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, uh, that we see at least in the Old Testament. Like a drunk man, uh, Nebuchadnezzar went about and slaughtered many nations, and he sought to gather all nations to himself. And in his great pride, which we see that in Daniel 4, when he was on top of his palace and said, Look at this, this uh, nation that he has built, that I have built for myself. He exalted himself. Yet we know that God humbled him in a, in a great fashion by causing him to behave like the beast that he was acting like in his own heart. Um, and we see the same pride in the rulers of Israel as well, that they, they opened up their appetite, flexed your and were never satisfied. Uh, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah 5 verse 11. God is pronouncing his indictment on uh, the people of Israel. Isaiah 5, 11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening, that wine may inflame them. Their banquets are accompanied by lyre and harp, by tambourine and flute, and by wine. But they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the, works, the work of his hands. Therefore, my people go into exile for their lack of knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude is parched with thirst. Therefore, Shaol has enlarged its throat and opened its mouth without measure. And Jerusalem's splendor, her multitude, her den of revelry, and the jubilant within her descend into it. So the common man will be humbled, and the man of importance abased. The eyes of the proud also will be abased. But the Lord of hosts will be exalted in judgment, and the holy God will show himself holy in righteousness. Then the lambs will graze in their pasture, and strangers will eat in the waste places of the wealthy. Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of falsehood, and sin as if with cart ropes, who say, Let him make speed, let him hasten his work, that we may see it, and let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near, and come to pass, that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who substitute darkness for light, and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights, rights of the ones who are in the right. So there we see that the people, he's giving woes to those who rise early in the morning. And why do they rise early? Not to, to do the will of God, not rising early to praise God, as it says in Psalm 63, that he wakes up in the morning earnestly to praise him and seek him. But they rise early in the morning to pursue strong drink. And they stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. And they have much decadence. Their banquets are accompanied by lyre and harp, by tambourine and, tambourine and flute, and by wine. And what is the result? They do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the work of his hands. And Sheol is the one who enlarges itself to swallow them, just like they enlarge their appetite to swallow others. So this is what Habakkuk is teaching us um, in verses 4 through 5. So some things to be learned uh, from this passage that um, all prideful men are this way, and God is opposed to all the proud. This is precisely why God raises up men throughout history who seek empires and um, 
And he will do this again in the end, as we see in 2 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation, that the work of Satan, uh, going back to the garden and Cain and the Tower of Babel, will raise up um, many beasts, and including the final beast, who will gather all nations to himself. But all prideful men are this way. As we see in 1 Peter 5, God is the one who is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And this is what Habakkuk is teaching us. 1 Peter 5, 5. First Peter 5, 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. <clears throat> if we are proud, God is opposed to us. His soul hates us. His soul is not pleased with us, as it says in Habakkuk. But to the humble... To the one who has humility toward one another and toward God especially, he is the one who has grace from God. And he says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Not Maybe not now, but at the proper time, he will exalt the humble one. And he will abase the proud one. So this is what we are to learn from Habakkuk, to be, not to be proud, but to be humble. Uh, the next thing we learn that faith, faith is a gift. It is a gift from God. We already saw this in Ephesians 2, but we can see this again in Philippians 1, 29. We must have this firm in our minds that faith is a gift from God because he says that the righteous live by faith. We must have the faith that's from God, not coming from ourselves, because anything that comes from ourselves is sin, but if it comes from God... That is the faith that will give us the preserving of the soul. Philippians 1, 29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. There he says that it's been granted to us, not just to suffer, but granted to us to believe in Christ, to believe in God. This is a gift from God. It, it comes from him. It does not come from within ourselves. This, this righteousness, or this faith that, that grants us righteousness, it does not come from ourselves, it comes from God alone. This is the faith that grasps the righteousness of Christ. And we can see this also in Mark 9, 24, when the man says to Jesus, um, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Um, Mark 9, 24. Uh, we'll start um, in verse 21. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often thrown him into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. 
the father of the son. The son was a demoniac, had a demon who uh, thrown him into the fire and into the water. And this man asks Christ to, to help him. He says, if you can do anything. And Christ rebuke, rebukes him and says, all things are possible to him who believes, who has faith in Christ. And he says, I do believe, help my unbelief. If he's asking for help for his unbelief, well, he's asking for help from Christ, from God. That means that belief has to come from God. It cannot come from himself. He's not um, working up belief in himself, but he's asking God to grant more belief, more faith, um, so that he would uh, see this miracle and see uh, salvation. Um, <clears throat> the next thing we see is that we become like what we have faith in. If we have faith in earthly things, in wine, in um, pride, the pride of life, then that's exactly what we become like. We become like a brawler, a mocker, just like uh, Nebuchadnezzar did. And we become like a beast. But if we have faith in God, we become more like God. We see this in Psalm 115, verse 8. We know from many passages, especially in Colossians 2 and 3, that we are being made into the image of Christ, as well as Romans 8 that we are being conformed in his image, and that's what we should be seeking. But we also see in Psalm 115 that if we worship idols, we will become like those idols. Psalm 115, verse 1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth, why should the nation say, Where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have uh, noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. If we worship idols and we worship earthly things, we become like them because they are trusting in them. It says in verse 8, those who make them, those who make the idols become like them, and they are trusting in them. They're putting their faith in an idol. And then in verse 9 of Psalm 115, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help in their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help in their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help in their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. So if we have faith, we're having faith. The greatness of our faith is not coming from ourselves, but the greatness of our faith is the one we are trusting in. We are trusting in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Um, the next thing we learn is that faith is only profitable in Christ. And we can see this in Romans 9, that Habakkuk, Romans 9 verse 30, but Habakkuk is, is teaching us to have faith, but not just a bare faith in in God or anything vague, but faith in Christ. As we saw um, the last time we were in Habakkuk, from Habakkuk 2.3, that he's speaking of Christ, and that's what Hebrews is telling us. We must not shrink back from Christ. It is only faith in Christ that is profitable. Any Faith in anything else will not profit us. Romans 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith? But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, 
but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. If we do not pursue righteousness by faith, but through the pride of our own works, then we will stumble over the stumbling stone, and God will hate us for our wickedness. As it says, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This is none other than Christ himself. He was the stone of stumbling. He was the rock of offense and still is. But the one who believes in him, the one who is humble and has faith, he will not be disappointed. He will not be put to shame because Christ is the one, the only beloved son of the Father in whom he is well pleased. God is pleased in Christ. He is pleased with Christ. So if we have faith in Christ and are made like him, we can know and be assured that in him, God will be pleased with us, not from anything of ourselves, but because of the righteousness of Christ. And then the last thing we learned that the gospel is the same from beginning to end. Because Paul uses this to prove his gospel of faith. The gospel that Christ gave him. Romans 1, since we're in Romans. Uh, Romans 1, 16 to 17. Paul quotes Habakkuk 2, uh, verse 4. To prove that the gospel is by faith. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. How can we ascend to the hill of the Lord, to his holy place, if we do not have righteousness? Our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and scribes, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, but we cannot get it from ourselves, it has to be the righteousness of God. And that righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And he says, as it is written, this is his proof that the gospel is one of faith. He quotes Habakkuk 2.4, but the righteous man shall live by faith. If we want to be righteous men, righteous men and women, to inherit the new heavens and new earth, inherit the promises of God, we must live by faith. We can't live by anything else in this life. We must live by faith and faith in Christ. And Paul uses this to prove that, and so he's showing us that Habakkuk had that same faith and was teaching that just the same as he was. Paul could say that he um, lived his life with a clear conscience just as his fathers did, and Habakkuk is one of his fathers. Uh, Galatians 3, he also quotes this there, Galatians 3, uh, 10 through 14. Galatians 3, 10 through 14. For as many as are the, of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. At, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He's talking about the promise of the Spirit, redemption in Christ, having our sins forgiven, and he shows that it is only by faith. It is not by works of the law. He says in Galatians 3.11, Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. And why is it evident? Because Habakkuk already made it abundantly clear that the righteous man shall live by faith. If we do not live by faith, we will be cursed 
because the only other option is to live by works of the law, and they are mutually exclusive. But no one is justified by the law before God. No one can justify himself saying that I deserve righteousness. I deserve to inherit the new heavens and new earth because of the works I've done. The only man who can say that is Christ himself. So the righteous man, the one who is just, must live by faith, must do it by faith in Christ. And this is the example that Christ gave us. He had um, humility, humility to the point of even dying on a cross. And he, he had boldness. He did not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. He did not shrink back from um, doing everything that God had given him to do. He, he lived his life perfectly. He despised the shame. And he um, pressed on looking for um, the hope that was set before him, uh, the glory that was after the cross. And so his boldness must be the same boldness that we have. And we can only have that if we have uh, faith in him. And then if we do, we will have a great cloud of witnesses behind us, as it says in Hebrews 11. Because faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Right after that, in, in, in Hebrews 10, when he quotes Habakkuk, he goes into um, the hall of faith. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. He gained approval. Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. And then he goes through and shows all of the men of faith that came before us. We must be among those men who, who believed in Christ and were bold like Christ was. Uh, may the word of Christ dwell richly within us. Amen.